The rest of the Perek discuss both the rights and the responsibilities of a father and a husband over their daughter or wife. And we start off with the rights of the father. A father has the following rights regarding his daughter, and of course we are talking specifically about a daughter who is not yet a Begeres. A Begeres is a woman who is at least 12 and a half years old, who has fully matured, and she is no longer considered to be within the domain and authority of her father. So we're talking either about a Katana, a girl up to Bas Mitzvah, or a Na'ara, who is a girl between the ages of 12 and 12 and a half. So she's still in the authority of her father, and therefore her father has the rights to receive Kiddushin on her behalf. And the three ways in which Kiddushin can be done is Bekesef, with money, so in general a man would give the woman who he is doing Kiddushin on money. So over here, if the father receives the money on behalf of his daughter, he has the right to do so even against her will. And she would then be the Arusa of that man. Alright, Bishtar with a document. If the father receives the document of Kedushin, which is a second way how to do Kedushin. So he can receive that and she will be considered an Arusa. And thirdly, over Vyar, he is able to give his daughter over to a particular man for them to have relations, and that is a third way to perform Kedushin. Now, it should be noted that there is a difference between a Nara and a Katana, in that a Nara could also receive Kedushin herself. If somebody gives a Nara the Kedushin money, she also becomes the Arusa of that man. However, when it comes to a Katana, only the father can receive the Kedushin on her behalf. She has not got a sufficient level of understanding to do it herself. So the first right of the father is concerning Kedushin. The second right is Vazakabim Tsiosa. He has the rights to anything which she finds belongs to him. The Chachomim awarded this to a husband in order to prevent him from stopping to support his daughter. We're going to learn in a couple of Mishnah's time that technically, according to the strict letter of the law, one is not obligated to support his daughter. And the Chachom were concerned that if she kept what she found and didn't give it to him, then he might stop supporting her. As well as that, with Maisiodeha. Anything which she makes, for example, if she sews things, that would go to her father, and anything which she earns, anything which she gets from her work, that is also included in Maisiodeha. And the Gemara learns out of Psukim that this goes to the father, Uba The father has the ability to annul her vows. If she makes a neder, which is when one vows not to benefit from a particular thing, the Torah states explicitly that on the day that her father hears about the vow, if he says, I do not want her to be bound by this vow, then the vow is annulled. So that is another right of the father. Umakabalis gita. He is able to receive her get, and we're talking specifically about a case where she is divorced from Erosin. If she was fully married, then she's no longer in the authority of her father at all. However, if she has only received Kedushin, she is still under his authority. So if her husband gives her father a get in order to divorce her, she would be divorced. Now, one right which the father does not have over his daughter is that if she has property which belongs to her, for example, if she inherits something from her mother's father, let's say she's the only surviving descendant of her grandfather from her mother's side, so she would inherit his property, and that's now considered to be hers. So let's imagine that she inherited a field, and the field produces lots of fruit. The the father is not able to eat the fruit of her field whilst she is still alive, and this really refers to any benefit which comes from the property which she owns. Even though when she dies, he will inherit the entire property, as long as she's alive, it's considered to be totally hers, and the father does not have the rights to have the benefits of her property. 
Nisus, once she gets married, then Yosser of Habaal. Her husband has more rights than the father. All of the rights which she mentioned until now, the husband has. Plus, the fact he does have the right to eat the fruit of her property and to benefit from the things which are produced by her property whilst she is still alive. And the reason for this difference between the husband and the father is because as we're going to see, one of the obligations of the husband towards his wife is that if she would be captured, he would be obligated to ransom her and to pay that money in order to free her. So in order to make sure that he will indeed do that, in return for that obligation to ransom her, he is entitled to all of the pay race, all of the fruit and benefits of his wife's property. But when it comes to the father, even if the father wouldn't have that benefit, he would still certainly do everything he can in order to ransom his daughter. And therefore the Chachomim did not see a need to award him with the pay race of his wife's field. So after listing all of the rights which a father and husband have over their daughter slash wife, the mission now lists their responsibilities and obligations towards her. The Chayvim Zoneseha. We're talking about the husband. The husband is obligated to take care of her food, meaning he's obligated to support her. And this is in return for the husband receiving everything which she earns. In return for that, he supports her. But for Koina, he's obligated to ransom her, as we explained. In return for this, the husband receives the pay race of her property, Uvik Verosa, and he will be obligated to bury her and to take care and pay for all of the burial needs. And this is in return for the fact that he inherits her. Rabbi Huda Omer, Rabbi Huda picks up on the last point. And according to Behuda, every husband is obligated to provide the following in the burial. Whilst the eulogies are being given, this was the custom, and therefore, even a poor man amongst the Jewish people, must not provide any less than at least two flutes, and a woman who would wail and cry, which would encourage the, the people there to also cry over the dead person. That is the minimum which the husband needs to do to fulfill his obligation of taking care of her burial needs. Mishnah, hey, as we have seen, even once one's daughter, who is a Na'ara, receives Kedushin, so she becomes an Arusa, and goes through a period of Erosin until she receives Nisuin, which is the process of the Chuppah, that's the completion of the marriage. But as long as she is an Arusa, she is still considered to be under the authority of her father. And therefore he would be the one who has the rights to everything she finds and earns, etc. The question is, when does the domain and authority pass from the father to the husband? We're going to learn in the next Perek that if they set a date for the Nisuin, and then for whatever reason the marriage doesn't actually take place on that date, the husband is already obligated to support her from that date even if she ends up still being an Arusa. But we're going to see now that the rights of the husband and father do not necessarily depend directly on their responsibilities. Even though we explained that the rights and responsibilities are sort of in return for each other. For example, he's obligated to ransom her, but he receives the fruits of her fields in return for that. So we're going to see in this Mishnah that although that might be the reason originally for all of their rights and responsibilities, nevertheless, practically speaking, even though the husband's responsibility of supporting her might begin from that date to which they fix, nevertheless, he does not gain all of the rights until they are actually married. She is always considered to be in the domain and under the authority of her father, until she enters the domain of her husband for Nisuin. So until she actually gets to that chuppah, the husband still has all of the rights and the husband has no rights. Now, if Mosar Ha'av if the father gave over his daughter 
to the messengers of the husband to take her to the chuppah. Already from that point, Hari Sabaal, she's already considered to be in the domain of the husband because the father has let her go out of his own domain. And the messengers of the husband are sort of an extension of the husband himself. And so we consider her to be under the authority of her husband such that if, for example, she were to die now, so it would be the husband who would inherit her property. However, if the father went with the messengers of the husband, so he hasn't given her over and taken her out of her out of his domain. He's going with them until he reaches the husband himself. Or if the father sent messengers to go together with the husband's messengers. So again, the, the father's messengers are an extension of the father himself. So she hasn't yet totally left her father's domain, and therefore she remains in the domain of her father. But at the point that that the messengers of the father give her over totally to the messengers of the husband and they leave, so then from that point she is considered to be in the domain under, under the authority of her husband. According to the strict letter of the law, a father is not obligated to support his daughter. And the same goes for his son, just that since these Prokham are talking about the rights and responsibilities of a father towards his daughter, so we talk about the daughter. And Zem Midrash Darsh Rebbe Azariah learnt this law out of the following text inside of the Kasuba. He elaborated on this point in front of the Chachomim, literally in the vineyard in Yavne. The reason why it was called Kerem Yavne is because in the yeshiva there they would sit in neat rows, just like a vineyard is set out in rows one in front of the other. So the Beis HaMedrash there was a similar style and a similar set out. So Rebbe Azariah deduced this law from the text of the Kasuba itself. Inside the Kasuba it is written, Habonim Yirshu, the sons will inherit. This is something known as Kasubas Benin Dichrin, which we won't go into the details now because it's a mission later on in this parak. But in short, one of the stipulations in the Kasuba is that if the woman dies before the man, and then the man dies, only the children of that man who came from this particular woman, this particular wife, only they will inherit her Kasuba money. And we'll see details about this later on in the parak. But right after that in the Kasuba is written the Habonaisizainu. And the daughters will be supported. They'll be provided with food. So the fact that in the Kasuba these two things are written right next to each other teaches us that just like the sons only inherit their mother's Kasuba money after the father dies, so too the daughters are only provided with food once their father dies. Part of the inheritance goes towards supporting them. This is another one of the agreements which are written inside of the Kasuba, but we see that it's specifically after the death that they are supported. But as long as the father is alive, he is not obligated to support his daughters. Now, the truth is, the Rambam does write that although according to the strict letter of the law, he's not obligated, we do apply very severe pressure upon such a man who refuses to support his children. And if that man is wealthy, then we would actually force him because of the law of Tzedakah. Stocker begins at the home, and if he refuses to support his family, then the base then can force him to fulfill the mitzvah of tzedakah, and therefore to support them. And even in cases where the base then won't necessarily force him, they will apply very severe pressure upon such a father to support his children. Mr. Zion, for the rest of the Perek, the Mishnah is going to go through many of the agreements 
and stipulations which are written inside of the Kasuba, where the husband obligates himself to certain things. And the way that the Mishnah writes it is that if somebody didn't write such and such a thing inside of the Kasuba, he's still obligated. And really that's a way of telling us what is written in the Kasuba generally. So firstly, if he didn't write for his wife a Kasuba at all, it's still an obligation. A woman who was not had relations when she got married would collect 200 Zuz upon being divorced or widowed. And a woman who was a widow, meaning she had had relations before at the time of the marriage to this man, she would collect 100 Zuz. Because it is a condition made by Beistin, meaning it's an obligation, which is not dependent on their actual agreement at the time of marriage. That is the form which it takes on in general, but really it's an obligation which is not dependent on them agreeing about this at the time of marriage. Now another factor which is necessary in every Ksuba is something called Achrayas Nechosim. Achrayas Nechosim means that if somebody owes somebody else money, and he ends up not being able to pay. So in a case where there is a chayis nechassim, the person who is owed money is able to collect that money from the other person's property. And even if that person has sold that property to somebody else, he would be able to collect it from the buyer because he has a hold on that property that in a case where the person is not able to pay me back in money, I have the ability to collect it from his property. So what happens if if the husband wrote in the kasuba a particular field which was worth 100 zuz and he says that you will have a chayis nechosim on this particular field, that you can take this particular field, but it's tachas masayim zuz, it's instead of 200 zuz. She's entitled to a kasuba of 200 zuz and he only made a chayis nechosim on 100 zuz property which was worth only 100 zuz. And in fact, even if he did specify a particular field which was worth 200 zuz, that's not good enough. Let's say, if you didn't write that all of my property has a chayis nechosim for the sake of your kasuba, chayav, he is obligated to do that, meaning there is automatically a chayis nechosim on all of his property. Not on a specific field, but on all of his property. Why shouldn't I base him? Because that is a condition set down by the basin and, and the chachomim, that this is one of the obligations which go together with the kasuba. So even if he didn't write it down, it is an automatic obligation nevertheless.